We're going to read together from the scriptures. We're in Acts chapter 18. And we'll start at verse 1. Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who recently had come to Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks um, When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to exclusively uh, to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they they opposed Paul and became abusive, he took out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who had heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack or harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth uh, uh, for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. When Gallio was proconsul of um, Achia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought brought him to the place of judgment. This man, uh, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, uh, Gallio said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or some serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since this involves questions about words and names of your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be the judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on uh, uh, Sosthenes and the synagogue leader and, and they beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. I've loved this series. I love looking at Acts because Acts is where the church becomes alive. It's where where believers started to take what they knew about God and and taking it to the people. And it's quite exciting because some people accept it, other people reject it. Um, But this guy, Paul, was, was the one to watch, wasn't he? He, he, he has a lot to do through, the, through Acts. And uh, 
He's a great man. He was the first missionary, the greatest missionary I think we had. But get this, no missionary society nowadays would touch him with a barge pole because everywhere he went, he caused trouble and riots and uprisings. He was an absolute nightmare. In fact, I was leading to the church leaders um, uh, through the week when we met. And there's there's occasion where... um, Barnabas brings Paul down to Jerusalem to meet the church, the church leaders, people like Peter and James. And it says that while he's there, the whole city is in uproar to the point of they were going to try and kill him. So they took him and shoved him on a ship, sent him to Tarsus where he's from. And it says from then on, for the next three years, they had peace and quiet. I always think that's great. They get rid of the troublemaker and all comes out. But he was that type. He did cause trouble where he went because he was the one who would speak out and tell the truth. Um, As you say, no missionary board would accept him. Why? Because whatever he did caused a stir within the city. I I don't know if you know, but uh, missionary boards are quite like... um, Learn the culture, learn to fit in the culture, be respectful, take that opportunity when it comes. Not Paul, <laughs> not Paul at all. He, he went in like a barge pole and boom, and he told people exactly who Jesus was and what they had to do. They stoned him, they lashed him, they beat him, they hit him with rods, they put him in prison. The only thing they couldn't do to him was shut him up. He would speak no matter what the cost was to himself personally. He would just have to speak about it, speak about Jesus, how great he was, what sort of man he was, how we should should follow him. I love Paul. The the, the tradition tells us what Paul looks like. We don't often get a description of of what people look like in the the Bible because it's so ancient. But there's there's a a description of Paul from from the traditions that says that Paul was a short man. He had a bald head, he had bandy legs, and he had a a, a hooped large nose. Pretty guy. You know what I mean? You wonder why there's not many pictures. I can tell you why. he wasn't always called Paul. In fact, uh, he, was, he was a famous Pharisee called Saul. And he was there, as we learned a few weeks ago, when Stephen got, got, um, got stoned. He was the one who held the coats, who gave permission for Stephen to be stoned. And then from there, it said that persecution broke out in Jerusalem and that they were looking for Christians uh, uh, to, 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 to put a name to this what they called a sect, this Christianity thing. And so Saul, who later became Paul, seeked out these Christians, found them. And when he found them, he would either have them executed or have their families put into slavery. So imagine that you you get caught being a Christian and they take your wife and your children and sell them as slaves, never to be seen again. Or they could take everything that belongs to you, uh, take all your property, your, your money, uh, everything that you own, your, your, your cattle, your whatever. They would take things off them. The idea is to put an end to this Christianity. So you can imagine that, that Paul uh, was feared, this, this Saul character was feared around Jerusalem. And then, then he got permission from the, the high priest who wasn't a Pharisee as Jesus was, because that's as Jesus was, as, as Saul was. Uh, as they came together, they, they sort of these two different groups who didn't like each other came together to make an end to Christianity. The high priest gave permission for Paul to go further afield. So he was on his way to Damascus 
to get the rest of the Christians. And on the way, he bumps into Jesus, the one he didn't believe in, the one he thought had died. And here he finds not only had he died, but he's alive and that he has a mission for Paul. He sends a guy called um, Ananias to go and pray for him. And Ananias is like, you're kidding. Don't you know who he is? He kills Christians. I'm a Christian. He's a Christian killer. Why would I want to go and see him? And he's like, Ananias, go. Because he is my chosen instrument. He is going to go and speak to the Gentile kings, to the people who don't know us, people who are not like us. And I will show how much he must suffer in my name. I love it. You always think, why does God call certain people? And I believe that God calls people so, so that people would look at them and go, that wasn't them, that had to be God. If you had to choose someone to go and tell, you know what I mean, the, 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 the Gentile world, the world who wasn't, wasn't Jews, the, 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 one at them, the one at that time, if you were in Jerusalem going, I'm looking for someone who's going to tell the Gentiles about Jesus. And you've got all the church leaders together and all the people from the church. They say, think of someone who we, we should call. And don't just think of people that we know. Think of anyone in the city. The last name that anyone would have come up with would have been Saul of Tarsus. They would have been like, no, 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 not him. And that's the, the name that God chose. Because people would look and go, that couldn't be possibly Saul. It had to be God. You ever wonder why Jesus chose the disciples he chose? You know what I mean? A couple of fishermen, a tax collector, a zealot. You know what I mean? Judas, Thomas, doubting Thomas. Why did he choose these ordinary, ordinary people? You would have been much better than them. You know what I mean? Peter couldn't even fish. That's all I'm saying. Every time he's fishing, it's only Jesus turns up. He catches anything. He, he, I mean, these were ordinary, rubbishy type of people. But Jesus chose them because people would look and go, it can't possibly be them. It has to be God. It says at one point, John and Peter were arrested. And when they were brought before the, 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 the leaders... And they say to give an account of why they were arrested. They were shocked that they were just ordinary men because they spoke so well and spoke with confidence. God takes the ordinary and he uses it for his glory so people can see that it's not them. It has to be God. And that's true of us. It's true of us. You know what I mean? There's, I often look at people thinking, oh, I wonder what they were like before. They're just ordinary people. People like us who gets a calling from God. My calling came um, quite clearly. I was 15. I was minding my own business in my youth group. And my youth pastor, the devious one that he was, uh, asked us to pray and say, well, maybe God's calling us to something I want you to take this piece of paper home and write down what God is going to say. I wish I'd left that piece of paper there and then. But no, I took it home and I prayed about it. And two weeks later, I was in my youth group and he goes, has anyone got anything that they wrote down in the piece of paper? And he went round the, the room as he does. And some people were, I'm going to be a, a doctor in, in Africa. And he went round the room and eventually came to me and goes, Steve, what are you going to do? No, no. <laughs> 
Wait, what's that? I mean, no, that's no, no, nothing important. Maybe, maybe I had too much cheese. Maybe it's, he goes, what are you writing your paper? I went, I feel God is calling me to England. Can't possibly be right. I'm Scottish. <laughs> Who would want to go to England? England's not even as nice as Wales. Anyway, um, well, this goes in Cambria. I, not, <laughs> obviously, I changed my opinion since then. Um, but he called. Called someone who... Yeah, I mean, I never really did well at school. They, they asked me to leave at one point. Um, I, I used to work on a milk float, you know what I mean, delivering milk in the mornings. But God takes the ordinary and he turns it in to someone that he can use. What is God calling you to do? You know, God's put you in a place at this time for a purpose. He wants to use you to, uh, for his glory. He's put people around you, people maybe you work with, maybe uh, people you live with, maybe, maybe you do a sport, but he's put you in that group, maybe, maybe you're in a reading group or a wine tasting group, whatever it is, God has put you in that place for you to speak about him. God calls. The question is, are we a people of courage? Are we people of courage to do what God has asked us to do? So last week, uh, Paul was in Athens, and he goes from Athens to Corinth. Now, Corinth isn't far away. It's about 50 miles to the west. Now, Corinth is, uh, is quite a, an interesting city because it has two ports, one on the east and one on the west. It's a, these bits of countries where it's only three miles between t- two, two different parts of water as such. Now... Ships in them days would have to go all the way down the bottom of, of Greece to, to go on to the west if you were coming from east to west. And the bottom of Greece was a very dangerous piece of water. And, and, and so basically in, in the autumn or the winter or the spring, you avoided it. So it meant only when the sun was out in the summer that would you ever attempt to go down uh, and around the bottom of Greece. And even then, it was quite risky. So what they would do is boats would come into, into the port, uh, the east port of, um, of Corinth, and, and they would take all the goods and sell them there and then. Then the people of the city would transport them from one side of the city to the other dock on the west side, and they'd load them onto ships and then send them out to the west side of the Mediterranean. So that's how it worked, in the same as the opposite way, Boats would come from the west side of the Mediterranean into the west, they transport it all over to the east and then send it out from there. So the idea was everything seemed to go through this, this, this city. It was a large city, had about 250,000 people. Then he discovered a genius way of actually taking boats from one side of the city to the other. We'd put them in rollers and have people roll these big ships through the city uh, to, to get them to the port the next week. They've now built a canal. Um, they tried to do it when, uh, when there was um, an emperor, you know, I mean, a Roman emperor, but uh, when you actually see how, th- how deep that canal goes through solid rock, you realise that the Romans weren't able to do it. It took a, a few more uh, centuries before that happened. The city is extremely wealthy because it has these two ports, because everything has to go through. Um, it's full of different types of people, different cultures who, who, who are in that city. Um, it's very, um, very mixed, mixed religions, mixed type of people. Um, it, it's, it's known as a partying city. It has very low uh, morals. Um, and it's uh, a 
place where God really didn't seem to be at work. But it's a place where Paul went to. Now, I, I love living here. This is, this is a, a nice part of the world, to walk in the common. But I, I've lived in lots of places that... I'm trying to think if there's any place I haven't lived that I didn't really like. I, I used to live in Cumbria. I used to live in Cumbria. Up the hills, our local town was a place called Church Bruth, which had about 100 people living there. And we were six miles from Church Bruth. So we literally had about five people live around where we lived and about four million sheep. Um, it was very quiet. It was very high up in the hills. And I was quite lonely, so I wasn't a big fan of that. But it was, it was all right. Uh, when me and Rachel got married, we went to, to live in a place called Preston in, in Lancashire up north. Now, that was, that was very interesting. I quite liked living there. Um, it, was, it was exciting. It wasn't dull. We, we, they built a new church on this, uh, this new estate. Um, so the church was, was like brand new. It had plastic windows. When you go and think, why does a church put plastic windows in? It's not until you're preaching and you see the bricks bounce off the windows that you realize that's why they're plastic. Um, the, the, the car park where all the people from church parked their cars, it used to be like a showroom for the people on the estate. And often cars would suddenly disappear from the car park at high speed uh, as they disappeared uh, by the locals. And so eventually they had to put people on car parking duty to stop the locals nicking the cars, um, which I used to find quite amusing. Um, it, it, it was rough. We, we lived next door to a, a drug dealer. Um, and... Um, his sister used to come to, our, to one of the youth groups that we ran, and she was involved in a car accident. Um, became very poorly, was in intensive care, and that, that gave us a chance to, to, to meet this drug dealer, because that was his sister. Um, so we, we, we sort of uh, started to, to make friends. But it came to a head one day. Um, our house was uh, broken into, and we weren't in that day, um, um, but three of our neighbours were. And the people who broke in held everyone at knife point as they uh, took everything from their house of value. Rachel was heavily pregnant, so we decided maybe time to move from the rough estate to somewhere a bit nicer. And, and so we did. The, the, the three years we lived in Preston, our car was broken into 14 times and the house bro was broken into three times. So it was different, but a real ministry. The thing I remember most about Preston was... Um, we did a, a, a club for children. And I remember telling about three kids that we were going to put this club on um, and if they'd like to come, turn up on the, on the, on the night. And um, I sort of got leaders. I had about six leaders helping me. And I said, look, if we get nine kids, that will be fantastic. But don't be discouraged if we only get three or four. Anyway, uh, we're about 10 minutes to start. Then when one of my leaders came and said, you need to see this, and took me upstairs to a room that oversaw the car park. And all the way down the car park was a big snake of, of uh, parents with children lining up uh, to, to come uh, into the club. There was 111 kids that first night. 111. I've lived in Exeter by the sea. I've lived in Worcester. And the thing I've known, all people of all ages need to hear about Jesus. Don't matter how rich you are, how poor you are, don't matter uh, how educated or not, 
don't matter uh, your family background, if you've got one or not, all people need to hear about Jesus. And people of courage, that's who we are, are called to take that message to them. And Paul was called to a city that was pretty wild, uh, had low morals, you know what I mean? He was called to take the gospel to that city. Paul was by himself when he arrived. Um, he hadn't taken his, his uh, disciples, the people who, who, who were with him, Timothy and, um, and Silas. He'd left them in Philippi. And so he'd gone to Athens by himself. And now from Athens to Corinth, he, he'd gone by himself. But when he gets there, he meets this couple, um, uh, Aquila and Priscilla. And, uh, and they do the same trade as what, what Paul did. Paul was taught uh, to be a tent builder. Where he comes from in Tarsus, uh, there's, a, there's a goat. And their skin is what you use to, to make, to make uh, tents out of. Um, and so he, he gets to work. How exciting to find people in the same trade, people with the same interests. And not only did they make tents, but they were Christians. And so Paul hooks up with this couple and they, they employ him. They put him to work. They give him somewhere to, to stay. And they obviously can pay him so he can find something to eat. I love the other thing about this couple, Aquila and Priscilla. It helps us date when all this takes place because it says that they were, they were thrown out of the city of Rome and we know that happened in AD 51 that, that uh, Claudius, the, the emperor, had enough of these Jews revolting and causing riots in the city and many think that that was over actually the whole Christian thing that this couple were expelled from the city so that's why they're here in Corinth. Uh, the other thing is uh, about this couple is uh, they're mentioned six times in the New Testament, but four times the names are backwards. So what I mean by that? So usually it says Aquila and Priscilla, Aquila being the husband, uh, Priscilla being the wife. But four times out of the six, it mentions the couple the other way around, Priscilla going first, then Aquila, meaning that, that Paul obviously is using Priscilla more in, in, in the Christian work than in the, they was using or her husband, so she had more of a role within the church at that time. So as this is going on, uh, Silas and Timothy arrive from Philippi, and they arrive with a gift for Paul, and they give him this gift, and so it means that he's no longer having to, to work at, at making and selling tents, he's actually can give his whole time uh, to, to uh, tell in the city of Corinth, about Jesus. You know, we all need things, and Paul needed things. He needed friends, he needed money, he needed support, he needed somewhere to stay. But there were some extra needs that Paul needed that couldn't be fixed by friends. You see, it says that Paul was afraid that he was scared. And the reason being that everywhere he had gone, he had been battered and bruised. He'd been stoned. He'd been thrown in prison. And I don't know if you just got to the point of thinking, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. But he was struggling. And it's then that God turns up and says, Paul, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I've got many people in this city. No one is going to harm you in this city. He needed to do 
what only God could do. He needed that security. You know, sometimes, sometimes we need to say what we need. Sometimes we need to bring it to God. Sometimes, only, sometimes we can only bring things to God that only God can do. You know, in James, it says, he says, sometimes you don't get what you ask for because you don't ask God. Sometimes we, we have deep needs and we never even think that we should go to God with those needs. But maybe the first place we should go should be to God. People of courage. Sometimes we need to have that courage and say to God, I, I, I need you here. I need you. I can't do this by myself. I don't know where the next paycheck's coming from. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how my health is going to hold up. I'm not sure how long this marriage will last. Sometimes we need to take to God only the things that he can do. But what is your need? What would you be asking him for? So Paul gets to work and does what only Paul does. He goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath. The Saturday, he's, he's in his synagogue. And when he's in there, what, what generally happens, if they've got someone of, who's known, someone who's Pharisee, someone who's, you know, thing, they, they would give the scriptures for them to read. And you would, you would stand in the middle of the synagogue to read out the scroll that was given. And then you'd go and sit down. And every eye would be on you. What have you got to say? Well, Paul had quite a lot to say. And because he was a, a man of courage, he said them without blinking an eye. He tried to explain, to convince people that Jesus was the Messiah. And some got it. Some really got it and responded to that. Others didn't. They couldn't get it at all. And it says that as this was going on, there was a, a, almost like a split to the point where Paul had to leave and go set up somewhere else. I was in Exeter um, when, um, when I was in a sort of a, a minister's meeting. All the ministers of the, the city were together uh, as we normally did once a month. And there was this, this, these two guys who came to a meeting that we'd never seen before. And we said, oh, why are you here? He says, oh, we, we've come because we're about to set up a church in the city. And we thought, oh, how exciting. And he says, oh, so where are you going to set this church up? And they explained where they're going to set it up. And we thought, oh, that sounds amazing. And I said, so what ideas have you got? How are you going to do it? He says, what we're going to do is we're going to set this church up here. And we're going to take 400 people from your congregations to come and join our church. And then we're going to grow from there. And the room went quiet. It was like, you what? You're going to nick our people? And he was like, exactly. And I thought, you've got some nerve. And you know what happened? They came into the city, and what they said is exactly what happened. 400 people from, from our churches all went to join this church, and the church became quite large and grew from there, and is an amazing church now in Exeter. But at the start, it was very painful, and we were not amused, especially my mate, whose church was almost next door to where this guy was setting up. So you can imagine how this went down with Paul when he gets kicked out of the synagogue. He shakes off his clothes and says, well, stuff you, I'll go meet somewhere else. And what he does 
He goes next door. Next door. Can you imagine that? We got rid of this guy. Where is he? He's next door. And not only is he next door, the ruler of the synagogue, the guy in charge, he's next door with him. Because he's become a believer. Could you imagine that? They're like, this is, well, we're having none of this. We've got to do something about this. So they drag him off to court. They drag him off before, before the, 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 the Roman governor and said, sort this guy out. Like, like he's only next door. He's sent up. It's completely different to what we believe. You need to do something. And God's got it in hand. Because this guy is wise. Really wise. He goes, oh, wait a minute. This isn't a Roman problem. This isn't even a legal problem. This is not even a Greek problem. This is your problem. This is your religion and it's no working. And it's not down to me to fix. It's down to yourselves to fix. So it's uh, getting easy. If it wasn't, it would have been a legal case throughout the whole Roman Empire where people could take Christians to court to say this isn't a legal practice. This is a massive, it doesn't seem big, does it? It's like nowadays, you know what I mean, when, when someone gets sued for something, it puts them in a process that other people can sue for the same reasons. And God really has Paul's back. Paul was just about to speak when the, when the, the governor spoke before him. Isn't that amazing? He steps in. And that promise to Paul, you know what I mean, that you will not be harmed, came to be true. Because there's nothing they could do against Paul. What is it that you need? There's a, a verse in Matthew that, that um, I just love. Let me read it for you. It says, come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What is it you need from God today? People of courage, what is it you need? God is offering to you that help. So we're going to be quiet for a few seconds. And I just want you to think through that. What are you asking God for today? Father, some of us are weary. Some of us are worried. Some of us are afraid. But Father, I pray that we can bring all things to you. May we run to you, trusting you. May you give us those periods where we can find uh, that time of peace when we need it, even in the midst of the storm. So at this time, as, uh, as our souls have expressed to you our, our greatest need, I pray that you, you fulfill that in us today. Do the miraculous. Be with us.
And Father, make us these courageous people that you've called us to be. May, may we be like Paul. May we, we speak about you, even, at, even if it does come with a cost. So maybe at work or with our family or friends or neighbors or people that we, we, we hang with, I, I pray that we'll be brave enough to, to, to mention something, to say what we believe, to, to encourage people, to pray with people. Help us not to, to hide this light that you've given us under a bowl, but to, to, to shine bright for you, that people may see us and, and realize that you're real. So make us a people of courage in your name. Amen.